Welcome to The Counter Offer. I am your host, Susanna Gray-Jones, recruitment strategist and owner of Chime Search. It is my belief that it's simply not worth being a mediocre recruiter. Recruiting is tough, and it is my mission to make sure that you get all the best tricks and use the daily rituals to be the highest earning billers to become exceptional recruiters. So tune in and learn the secrets that the elite don't want you to know. Thank you so much for joining us as we edge further into the second season of The Counter Offer. Um, if you recruit at all for the e-tail, fintech or sports and entertainment industry, it's very likely that you will have heard of Forsyth Barnes. In fact, I was lucky enough to interview Rohil Ahmed, who is the founder and managing partner to this award-winning talent partner, Forsyth Barnes. In fact, they are a Financial Times 1000 fastest growing companies now for three years and the business specializes very much in senior appointments. I really loved our discussion because we spoke quite a lot about things like what it takes to be a good recruiter, but also about retained search and also about gender diversity. In fact, I wrongly said within this episode that I felt that my perception was that it was very male-dominated at Forsyth Barnes from looking at the website. In fact, after the episode, I reflected on this and thought I was completely wrong. However, we highlighted a really, really great discussion about recruiters and the differences between genders and what it takes to be an elite recruiter. I hope you enjoy this episode. First of all, thank you so much for coming on to the Counter Offer podcast. No problem. One of the things that is really interesting and I wanted to talk to you about is I think I don't know if you can remember how we tracked each other down, but I was actually trying to track you down at the time because I'd just spoken to your recruitment internal lady and I was saying, oh, I'd love to get you guys on the podcast. And then it kind of, things happened. I made the move to Dubai and then you contacted me and it was like, has he heard that I'm trying to track him down? So I don't know if you knew that, but I was already trying to get you on the podcast. Yeah, I know we'd spoken before a little while ago, and then it just kind of quietened down a little bit. And I think when I noticed you made the move, uh, the bit that you didn't know is we're now in plans of making a move out to Dubai as well. So it's always good having a good network and and so on as well. So I think when I saw that, it just it triggered my head of hang, hang on, we've been trying to speak at some point as well. So yeah. Amazing. I love it. I love it. And happy to help, by the way. So can you tell our audience and listeners a bit about you? I've done you a recorded biography, but if you could, in your words, let everyone know a bit about who you are. Yeah, so Forsyth Barnes or FB for short. Essentially, we're a completely bootstrapped organic business. Started off in London. We're now on a global scale and operate out of two offices out of the UK and New York, soon to be LA and Dubai after that as well. In the mid to senior exec space and predominantly the markets that we operate in are sports, fintech and what we call e-tail which is a lot more of your online retail we don't do as much on the traditional side of retail anymore mm-hmm. but a lot more in the, the modern age the digital age the the technological age of um, e-tail as well so there are three core markets been going really well as a business we're in our eighth year and this actually i think we're confirming it today but we are now in our record year for consecutive growth as well eight years of consecutive growth we've already surpassed 2022's numbers that's amazing and great to hear, by the way. I, one thing that I'm really interested in, because I think you're one of the first business owners that I've had on the podcast. And one thing, I, I must be honest, I don't know much about e-tail. I don't know much about tech, but I was fascinated by your journey. So for example, if you look at your LinkedIn, you started off a consultant 
and senior consultant, and then you set up your own business, you co-founder very quickly. How did that come about to just wake up one day and think, you know what, I'm going to start my own business and give it a go? Tell me about that kind of moment. So came through as a consultant, was pretty successful in my own right, and then started managing teams and so on as there. Could see that business kind of heading in a direction that I probably didn't agree with what I was looking for. And some still tinges of disappointment there because I remember when I interviewed with them at 21 with no experience I promised them that give me five years and I'll become a future director in this business nice Um, I believed it then so when I left pre having achieved that I was a little bit disappointed ended up finding myself working with my current business partner Scott again so we worked together at TJC had a little bit of time apart we kind of went in different directions but then was asked to join the business that he was working in worked together and then we we're doing well we we're kind of managing and running that business for the owners there but it just wasn't what we were looking for probably wasn't looking at the same pace as we were looking for and that's mm-hmm. fine they, they were kind of on their pathway in their journey we were younger we just wanted something a little bit more a bit more ambitious a bit more fast paced to it a bit more growth to it and so on as well and so we started putting our heads together on what that would look like and we just felt at the time that we could do it better grow it faster with our own resources there was never really a money play to it or a personal wealth angle to it or anything like that so i think our ambitions were greater than the environment that we were in at the time I noticed that from what, everything that you're saying, like the first thing you said was when you were in your old company, you were like, in five years, I want to go to director level. How, where does that come from, that ambition and belief? Because you've got to be confident to think like that, right? There's a lot of people out there who I believe could have that in them, but they don't have that innate confidence. So where does that innate confidence come from in you? Some call it belief. I've had a few call it arrogance. <laughs> Um, no. I, I don't know uh, upbringing in some part but dad my dad always kind of favored setting up a business for yourself have your own type of thing etc as well but from a young age I was talking the other day I went on an under 16s cricket tour to Yorkshire when I was 10 and was by far the youngest there I was then playing in four different age groups when I was 11 was then captain of a side when I was about 12 nice um would usually just take a lead in some form or other from a really young age. Even now, I sometimes forget that I'm the youngest of my siblings mm-hmm. and have to be reminded from time to time in a, in a positive way that yeah. you're the youngest to watch how you're speaking. And so I think I've just naturally kind of developed that from a young age. Yeah, no, that sounds, that uh, it's interesting what you said about like the sports side as well. You see a lot of very successful recruiters sort of with that sporting element and sort of learning through that, but you don't hear, and I'm really interested in like families and stuff like that. You don't hear of many younger siblings sort of having that much ambition. I studied education, so I'm fascinated with all that stuff, but I'm really keen to talk about Scott because you, I, I imagine that the partnership that you guys have is hugely relevant in how successful you guys have been how do you go about that because there are lots of people listening who will be going to the pub after work and saying let's set up on our own we can do it which is great but how do they go about how did you know that scott was the partner for you I can't say at the time it was a thought of he's the one for me. Look, we'd spent so many years together growing up through the industry. We only started a few months apart. We were put on the same desk as opposites in terms of I was doing a lot of the interim stuff. He was doing a lot of the perm search stuff. So just by doing that, every meeting we'd go to together and so on as well. So we got to know each other pretty well. We were mates first and foremost. 
And then just a trust built up there as well. We'd support each other. We'd chuck ideas towards each other on how this might help his team, how this might help my team. Oh, I noticed this is happening amongst people on your team. Why don't you try this? There was never an ego between us and there still isn't where it's, this is my team, why are you suggesting this? Or mm. how dare you've just said that on the floor without consulting me first, that type of thing. It was always an understanding of we're equal, we are heading in the same direction, we can do things together better. Mm. And I think where we saw in some of the businesses that we worked in, others who are in the same sort of position and were kind of counterparts on the trying to build the same thing they're a lot more skeptical of each other they're a lot more afraid of each other they were hiding information from each other it wasn't it just wasn't like that with us our ambitions pretty well aligned drives pretty well aligned we try to keep each other honest and there's no airs there's no graces between us now so yeah awesome that's good. I think, like you say, trust is so key and being able yeah. to have the difficult conversations for anyone working at a senior level together, you're going to say you're going to not agree with each other sometimes. And that that is it is really key to be able to do that and to end up on good terms. There's a lot of stigma around, especially amongst other sectors around tech and sort of AI and that kind of market being quite cutthroat. What do you think about that? Is it did you find it ever it has a cutthroat element to it no look everything that we've done predominantly has been relationship driven relationship grown through relationships etc as well yes there's an element of it but again it just comes back from if you're having a competitive nature i always just believe there are going to be times where you kind of fall foul of that uh, kind of environment but put yourself in a position where you're not impacted where you're not affected where you're too valuable in some form or other to not be taken by it right Mm -hmm. a lot of people hear that and think oh it's easy for you to say and you've never been involved in this and that and so on yeah and and that's fine but I think first and foremost it comes down to a mindset thing it's one of the reasons why we came through COVID so strong as a business and as a group of people because everyone was impacted by COVID but it was the mindset that we adopted and the mindset that we helped some of the younger ones kind of get through that period and how they should be thinking about things rather than getting caught up with what's in the mainstream media i think it all comes back to mindset and your approach to things definitely and i see that on your website the values and how well you seem to look after your stuff it you just have to go on linkedin and you see that you i think you with the cost of living crisis you gave everyone a 10 percent increase which is awesome when you see so many companies take making cuts and all of that make, makes you guys it really good but there must have been some point in the last eight years where having grown so quickly, because I think I read that your Financial Times top, one of the top 250 fastest growing yep. companies, was that three years running? That can't happen without some growing pains. So where have the difficult times been where you've really had to kind of bounce back? Difficult times. Uh, we had a Leeds office back in 2018. I remember interviewing for the lead for that person on my honeymoon in Hawaii and was doing video calls at 3, 4 a.m. So to, to get the timings right, but also to not interrupt my honeymoon and being up at silly o'clock doing a few interviews and things like that from there. Um, and it didn't work. And we've learned our lessons since. I'd probably say the number one reason is the individual that we'd picked to kind of lead the office probably hadn't spent enough time in our environment to understand what our environment truly is and the FB way and what makes us so special. <laughs> And then because of that, it just kind of started heading a different direction and, and so on as well. So we ended up having to close that office 
maybe about I think 18 months, two years or so later. And that's me living in London, driving up on a Wednesday, 4am to be there for 8.39, leaving at 6, 6.30, getting back at 10 every single week. So when you're kind of doing that and then it doesn't work out, yeah, there's a sense of disappointment there. I'd probably say the biggest of all is taking people on that you have taken on with the best intention and thought they had the mindset that the business needed and they just quite weren't quite there. Yeah. Um, that's they're probably been the biggest setbacks of a, uh, you see it quite quickly, right? And it's like, oh, I should have probably spotted this somewhere in the interview process and so on as well. Yeah, it's it's so hard. And with a lot of recruiters, their best interview, their best sales pitch is at their interview and then you employ them and it's like, oh, come on. But, you know, that obviously I think the best the best business owners, and you just showed this really in what you said, they're accountable for that, right? But at the same time, a lot of people are, oh, Gen Z or whatever. But actually, for me, having worked with so many business owners, the the ones who are really successful, the ones who are accountable for their decisions, because we all make decisions, but we don't always know. We have to kind of be accountable for that, I guess, at the same time. And it's difficult. Like you said, with the Leeds office, you see many companies trying to expand almost too quickly, and they can't support the different offices. And that, that can happen happen but how much of the business is retained how much of it is contingent and contract so i think every year we've been growing our uh, retainer numbers on a month-by-month basis as well so we're doing a phenomenal amount on that retained piece now which pays really nicely into our medium-term part of our strategy as well where we actually want to shift the business completely away from doing anything contingent globally mm-hmm. and we're just a product-based organization so the retainer piece of what we're doing now is just one small part of that and i actually want that not I don't mean from a financial perspective, but I want that to be our lowest value product in terms of what we're doing with our clients to add value to them, to help develop them as an organization, to help develop their employee value proposition as well. So we're doing a lot more exciting project-based work now where we're helping growing businesses scale to the next level mm-hmm. in line with their own objectives and strategies and so on as well. We'll actually essentially go in and become their talent department. Nice. Um, so much more exciting for us because we can really get to know the client. We can help develop them. We can do exciting things with them, which no one else is doing right now as well. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Is that's really exciting. And one thing I do find when I'm speaking to lots of recruiters is they struggle to sell or buy into the retained model. Yeah. What's your number one tip for, let's say, someone who's been in the contingent market and they're going over to exec search retained? What's your number one tip for selling a retainer model? It's a two-part <laughs> piece. Number one, understand the value that you will add by offering retained to your client. So it's not just retained for the sake of retained. And then the second thing is just ask. Just Honestly, it's as simple as that. We've got people in our business who have had no prior rec experience whatsoever and inside six months of selling retainers. I've got people in my business who have got several years experience but never done retained within six months of selling retainers. And uh, that's not how they need hand-holding on every single one. It's uh, we'll show you how it's done and how we do it on the first couple. And then they're just taking that and then they're rolling with it. And they're doing amazing things with businesses that most of the people say they've got no right to do that with. Yeah. Um, their lack of experience or their youth or or anything like that at all. We don't put those boundaries on our people. So the number is those two things. Understand the value that you're adding, not the sell, because no one, we're not talking here about selling anything or convincing anything of anyone, but the value that you're adding. And the second thing is go out and ask on every opportunity. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you think though that you should always ask at every opportunity? Because sometimes there are clients, I guess, who the retained model doesn't work for, right? Yeah. In that context, you're right. It's if it doesn't work, if it doesn't fit, then 100%. But again, you'll understand that through good qualification. Most are really keen to just start jumping into a sales pitch and, and going into it without actually understanding the benefits of it. And I often talk about if someone tries to sell me a holiday, sell me a beach holiday where I'm there sat relaxing for a week, there's no chance of getting my money sell me something which has got the warmth but there's some energy behind it there's some activities behind it there's things to see places to be new experiences 100 like where do i sign qualification right and, yeah. and actually just questions and listening so ask your questions understand the context and where they're in first and then if there's value there that you can add and that you can provide 100 go in and, and ask demonstrate what that value is and then ask I love that. The amount of times people used to come away from client meetings and they'd say, oh, brilliant, I've got the client on. And then you talk about well, what are they looking for? How long did you spend there? Oh, we were only sort of 10, 15 minutes. And it's like, you have to qualify. Yeah. I love those client meetings where someone says, that's a really interesting question. And they actually, that moment where they just stop that beat, where they stop and think, that's, I think, what every recruiter should be aiming for. One thing I'm really fascinated by is... Working as a rector rec, my clients, they might have a, what they perceive to be a good hire. That hire lasts for about eight months. And then maybe a year, two years down the line, that person leaves. And for me, that hurts because I want my recruiters to stay in the job for minimum two years to know that I've done a good job. I noticed on your website, you've got something, it's like a calculator, cost of a bad hire. Yep. How does that work? I'm intrigued. I think it's a really good idea, by the way. So there's obviously data and science behind it, but it's all taken into some of the data where depending on salary levels, you've got things like the opportunity cost, which is missed out by not hiring someone. You've then got the ramp down time of when somebody isn't working out and their lack of productivity, then the difference of what they're not producing and then having to rehire someone, get them trained up in the lack of productivity in that time period as well. So there's several different factors which go into the calculator at the back end to get you that figure essentially. And that's what we try to highlight with people of like the clients that we're working with that by selecting a third choice or a fourth choice or a fifth choice, you're actually increasing the probability of taking somebody on who is going to not work out for the long term or is not going to add the value that you need in this person to. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to help that education piece um, often through time to hire as opposed to just financial package that's offered. And that, because that's the bit that most of our clients underestimate the most. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, one thing I also noticed that you have is the four month. Is it guarantee replacement? Free replacement, yeah. Free replacement. How does that work? Because there must be instances where you have clients where you hear horror stories about things that have happened and that candidate just didn't work out in their mind, but the candidate tells you some pretty horrific stories. Yep. How does that work then? Surely, how does that work as a positive business model? 
look, it's it's one of those things where you can't legislate for the few bad apples out there and try and create something all encompassing if it happens once in a blue moon in its entirety, first off. But if it's going to happen with a bad client, the chances of that are actually even slimmer. Mm-hmm. So if it does, it's just one of those things that we swallow because we know that there's much more peace of mind and much more of a guarantee for all the other amazing clients that we do work with out there. And I'd rather focus on those than kind of concentrate on the one or two that might operate in a certain way, to be honest. So just take on the chin. Yeah, I, I like that answer. And I, I think the same. I think there's understanding what a good client is a key asset that a recruiter needs to have. What do you think? Because you've clearly taken on some really successful trainees, which a lot of companies are really struggling to do at the moment. And you made them successful. What do you look for when you're looking for that superstar recruit? What would you like to see from them? What kind of attributes? You said we've made them successful. They've made themselves successful. They've just used our environment and our platform to be able to do it in a quicker time frame than I'd back most others to be able to do it as well. But the first thing is I'd put their own diligence, their own hard work and so on as well. And they're probably two of the things that I tend to look for the most, the work ethic and can they back that up, the diligence, the ambition and the drive as well. I'm not expecting anyone to have the same answer that I gave when I was 21 about becoming a director in five years. But I want someone to have that ambition to come in and say, what's it take for me to get there? Tell me now and and show me the path and I will walk that path. They're the kind of people that I'm looking for the most. Mm -hmm. Not everyone will be the exact same. Not everyone will progress and get there and so on. And that's absolutely fine. But irrespective of your level, capability or whatever, I always think that if we have furthered you as an individual outside of work you've been able to pursue your dreams your ambitions whatever that might be it might be buying your own property it might be traveling whatever that is Mm -hmm. if we have developed you in your career if we have progressed you and provide you those ambitions those avenues to be able to progress and take more responsibility on and test yourself then we're doing a good job by our people and so long as i can that then that makes me content on an individual's basis that yeah we're looking after our our person because if we're if we're giving all of that to them it means they are succeeding it means that they're grasping the opportunity that we're giving them and and taking advantage of the platform that they have with fb so i i tend to focus on those things more than anything the billings that it's for me the billings are a byproduct the earnings are a bit of a byproduct as well it's what you're doing with your earnings yeah and some people are in a stage where they're just enjoying the weekends and that's fine they'll grow out of that at some point some people have grander ambitions at an earlier age and again that's fine some people want to hoard it and i can think of a few of those in our business that are very much like that whatever it is that's fine it's whatever plays for you it's making sure that we can give you the right environment platform to be able to achieve those things and what does that look like the right environment support so if you've got someone listening to this who wants to get those trainees up to scratch i'm going to ask you what's your top biller doing there per year Top biller now, they are on track for not short, not that shy of a mill. Um, nice. in terms of as well. Nice. I've had people who have in under 12 months with no experience get up to books of about 10 grand a week on a contract GP. And nice. then some, I've got people who in about 15 months with a little about 12 15 months experience private in a completely different market they've got a team of four or five whilst maintaining their own billings and so on as well no management experience prior to that as well these aren't outliers either there are repeated examples of people coming on board 
developing themselves, taking advantage of our platform that we give them and setting new records for what they're achieving. Got someone who only a few months ago, we were celebrating a record month and a record ever deal for her. And she's got about, I think, eight years experience in the industry. And in under 12 months with FB, she's doing record deals, personal bests, record months, is now on a training path to management herself. They're the things I'm proud of the most, where people yeah. celebrate those new records and those new PBs. Yeah. I think also uh, the culture is one thing that really resonates with me about your website and what you talk about your values. I think there's a lot of recruiters out there who are very cutthroat, but they will not work as part of a team. Would you rather recruit the cutthroat top biller who's going to make you millions or are you going to take someone who's a B consultant, who's a sort of steady Eddie, but is a great team member? What's your kind of uh, thoughts on that? The value that cutthroat individual brings in will invariably stay with them. Mm-hmm. And as and when they leave the business, invariably that value then walks out the door with them. Someone who's a team player who positively participates to the, the culture of the organization, who then goes towards management and starts building a team and so on, they are building so much of a greater value for FB. So I'd much rather the person who's going to be there for the long term, who wants to be part of FB, who wants to help grow and, and take the initiative on of FB. That's why we're giving a third of the business away to our own people. It's not the the kind of cutthroat, stab in the back, let me hide this type of individual. Because yes, you'll stick up some few deals and so on. If you're alienating everyone around you, where's your place? Where's your progression? Who's going to want to take you on? Who's going to work want to work underneath you? Or who's going to, do you see what I mean? I do. There, there is yeah. that long-term value for them. So we might benefit from their billings for 12 months, 18 months or whatever that is. But it always comes to a head. Experience tells me it will always come to a head. Yeah. Yeah, that's really refreshing to hear. I think one thing we said at the beginning of this episode, and it does resonate with me, I actually hate a lot of podcasts out there who are all, oh, you're brilliant, you're great. But I I have to say, you said confidence, some people say it's arrogance, you come across extremely humble, you seem like you have a lot of humility as well with that. And I think there's a lot of leaders out there who could take from that. For someone like me, doing the podcast, you meet a lot of different types of people, especially in different places, different countries. But yeah, I guess I'll be honest with you. If I was an individual, successful female recruiter, I was looking at your website, I might think, oh, is this a bit of a boys club? There's a lot of male, it's very male dominated on a senior level. Is that something that you're addressing? What's that about? So two things. You said that, having looked on the website, and I feel that I'll be lying if I said I, I didn't feel an air of disappointment on that that's the way it's come across. So straight away, one of the first things I'll go back, have a second look at it for myself, and then start having a few internal conversations, because that's not the gap. We were heavily male-dominated across the business. Brogan, who manages our internal function, has done so much amazing work internally and now is talking a lot about it externally with our clients on the drive on diversity across the business as well so there was once upon a time where scott and i primary focus was to just make sure we had a good successful profitable business we were paying people bills etc etc where 
when we start to grow the business and we had more people coming through, like Brogan, for instance, that gave us a bit more leeway to be able to say, cool, now these are the, are the business that are well taken care of. Let's go and focus on what diversity looks like and so on as well. Yeah. So now we've yeah. got some amazing leaders in the business from Claire, who's a director level in the business. We've got Corinne, who was brought in as a head of ops and has now been promoted to director level in the business as well. Brogan's been with us for a number of years and doing a fantastic job. We've got so many more females across the business and a much better balance with a few more nice, starters nice. that we've got coming into New York, where we were heavily male dominated when we set up New York, will now be about 50-50 in our New York office as well as the split between male and female. But clearly you've seen the website and that still isn't coming through, right? And so that's the thing that we still need to fix and work on for whatever reason. Is I think it's more. I speak to quite a lot of a lot of clients, especially in the professional services, and they say to me, "We'd like to get more females into our business. Help us. We're struggling, especially at leadership level." And I post about this on LinkedIn, and I think a lot of people think I must be a feminist because I post about it. But I'm not particularly. I'm just more intrigued. So I was searching for a sales director the other day, and I, I typed in all the competitors to this company, and all I could see was male, and it made me sad because being an ambitious female. I, I wonder what the reasons. I don't think it's necessarily. I know we're going onto a whole new path here, but I don't think it's necessarily discrimination. I really don't. I it, I think maybe it, it attracts more people recruitment at senior level for whatever reason. I, I just think it's people going through the funnel. I think the industry is. This isn't an FB thing. This is an industry thing, which is it is male dominated in terms of the number of people that are coming through is the first thing and the more people you've got coming from the bottom will naturally go up the funnel won't they and so you'll have a greater number of males in the same token there'll be other industries could be fashion could be retail for instance where there'll be more females in those types of industries and again it'll just be because that traditionally attracts more from the bottom ends and then more people come through and so on and obviously as females are getting older and through their career if they then go on to have children or anything like that there's usually a bit of a stock gap there are there there enough coming back into work we've just released an amazing i was about to call it maternity policy but it's not just from it's it's matt and pat policy which we've really feel stacks up as a world leading matt and pat policy in all industries not just in in the talent sphere um it encourages people to come back um, Mm -hmm. to fb should they want to obviously but we try to incentivize it and so on as well so i'm really proud of what we're doing in that regard and we've had a lot of internal external feedback saying that this is amazing we haven't seen anything like it events with the likes of eon and a few others and now we've got one coming up around this exact topic as well so i just think it's more males are coming through at the bottom but look i'm looking for a new york md to head up our new york business right now if I had my absolute choice, it'd be a senior female leader for that office, just because I think females lead with greater empathy, greater understanding, more relationship driven. Just intrinsically, females tend to have it more in them than males do. It's interesting, isn't it? I have to be careful what I say, but my whole dissertation at um, university was based on this. And we went into a classroom and we said, um, how many stars do you think there are in a sky? And obviously nobody knew. Um, they were all year four, so I think they must have been about. And the boys threw their hands up and just threw out the guess, whereas the girls, they played it very safe. And we're like, they really sort of tried to think about, well, let me work it out. And education trends show that boys are better at exams and girls are better at 
coursework. And I think there's a lot of arguments about discrimination, all this, but actually what we forget is scientifically the brains are very different, right? And it both bring excellent things. And I agree with what you say. I think there's some excellent female and male leaders out there, but it is really interesting. And I hope that anyone listening to this, if you're a female leader, <laughs> do contact the, the, these agencies at Forsyth Barnes. But yeah, no, that's really interesting and very insightful. So let's say two years, we get you back on the podcast. What do you yeah. hope to see has happened for your organisation? I think about it slightly differently. I don't hope to see, I'd be disappointed if we hadn't achieved these things. LA and the West Coast of the US will be the next piece. Our move to become that product-based organization and in the background, we're actually building a tech platform as well. So we should be, that should be out there in the world as well. And then whether we have set up Dubai or whether we are imminent to setting up the Dubai office, uh, be a bit of a one to remain to be seen a little bit on that one. That'll be on the timelines. But yeah, there or thereabouts. I'd love us to be in a position where we could do both the West Coast and the Dubai at the same time. Not that we'd actually go and do it, but it just means that we're operationally strong to be able to take it on and financially strong to be able to take on if we could. But we'll pick one or the other. So yeah, so greater growth across the US, greater growth across the UK, continued with where we are as well. And the strength of our brands and our business, yeah. Exciting. And I'm just curious to know, what are you doing when you're not recruiting and and leading the company? Other than making a fool of myself, uh, I get the mornings with my eldest. I take him, I kind of get him up and, and take him to school. And that hour and a half that I get with him is amazing every single morning. And then I, I'm not great at getting back at a decent time in the evening. So I don't necessarily get to see them every evening or most evenings. So the weekends are just purely with and for the kids as much as I can do. Try to balance that out with kind of wider family responsibilities or stuff around the house that's needed but it's usually there's a football on a Saturday there's something going on somewhere there's some party or somewhere it's, it's just my time with them essentially and then fit in a few other bits around it when I can and then what's next do, do you think the you'll sell the company what will kind of happen mm-hmm. in the long-term dream no, so we've um, committed to giving a third of the business away to our own people because we haven't got any external shareholders or investors or anything like that, and we don't need them. Um, our strategy is for an event where we take the business public over the next four to five years. Um, so we want to actually take the business public and list it on the AIM. As we're doing that, we continue to build the tech platform, and that's the next piece of ev- like evolution in our business as well, and, and take things in that direction. So we're actually building not your country kind of traditional rec business as has been seen so many times. I'm confident that over these next few years, investors and any potential people who might want to approach us to buy but we're not looking to sell will actually look at us and say we actually can't look at fb as a traditional rec business we can't value fb as a traditional rec business they don't look at themselves as one the way they report their financials isn't as a traditional rec business it is a, a tech business in the way that we operate so i'm very confident that's going to be coming in over the next few years as well and that's what will be known as in the industry very exciting awesome so people will be listening to this and they'll be inspired i'm sure by what you've achieved and they they might even think that they'd like to come work for your company how should people follow you get in touch with you of course if you want to work if you want to work for him get in touch with me but (laughs) no honestly (laughs) how, how could how should people reach out to you probably most active on linkedin 
just Rahel Forsyth Barnes on my LinkedIn. And then Instagram we use is we're ramping up on the Instagram piece as well. And it's not anything which is natural or instinctive, but I'm starting and learning to use more and more because a lot more of our clients now that we work with are in that space as well, right? And growing fashion brands, tech businesses, fintech businesses, owners are there, founders are there. They're the people that I want to interact with and build a network with more and more. So I'm doing more and more on Insta as well. So they're the traditional two that I tend to use. Nice, very exciting. Well, thank you very much for coming on again. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you liked it, please leave us a five-star review. We continually try to get the top billers in the world of recruitment to help you increase your billings, be a top commission earner, and most importantly, live your most rewarding life. You can find out about new roles on my Instagram, at Susanna Chime Search, and you can find me on LinkedIn or join the Chime Searches page to get all of the latest recruitment updates and tips. Thank you for listening.